In August, we're just going to do each week some one-off topics. Um, this week, I want to look at the topic of, um, of joy. Um, there's a quote, I believe Mark Twain, is he the guy who wrote Huckleberry Finn, I think. He said, today I went to church and I wasn't depressed. And there's this idea that Christianity, uh, or, or, or in his view, religion, is something that doesn't have much joy in it, but just leaves you feeling slightly bad about yourself. Um, the Bible actually says that one third of the kingdom of God is joy. So when Paul says what the kingdom is, he says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That joy is a vital part of our Christian faith and our walk with Jesus. I think sometimes we have a um, stronger comfort with weeping than with joy. Because there is a moment when we come to Christ that there is sometimes a moment where we repent about our lives and there's a turning away and a turning to Jesus. And there's a kind of godly sorrow in that moment. And so we can think actually that, that weeping and sadness over our sins is a high spiritual thing, but actually joy is a luxury commodity. And I want to talk about joy, and I want to talk about what threatens our joy and how to walk through those things. Um, I was reading in this translation, it's kind of a paraphrased mirror translation of Philippians chapter 4. And actually it's part of my personal enjoyment is, is, is to read lots of different translations of the Bible. Um, I love picking up different translations all the time. And in this translation of Philippians 4, verse 4, the writer says, Joy is not a luxury or option. Joy is your constant. Your union in Christ is your permanent source of delight. So I might as well say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. The Lord is a lot nearer to some. Um, the Lord is not nearer to some than what he is to others. Then he says this. Let no anxiety about anything distract you. Rather, translate moments into prayerful worship and soak your requests in gratitude before God. And in the NIV it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, do, do go pray God. I just believe there's going to be an overhaul this morning. Uh, uh, actually, in, for many of us, actually, the whole way that we relate, relate to God. They just see, a, 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 as it were, a shop, and the whole stock is changing. And the whole way that we've related to God is going to change. And that joy is going to be a bigger part of our relationship with God from this morning onwards, that we're going to not treat joy as a luxury. See, joy in the Bible is not a luxury because again and again the Bible will talk about the joy that's found in God as being a 
powerful, wonderful medicine it talks about in Proverbs. So joy, satisfaction, contentment, pleasure, delight. Even some translations would say the ecstasy of loving God or the pleasures of loving God. The deep, satisfying joy in who God is, who he is for us, who he is in us, being a constant source of strength. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, if you ever remember the, the, the story that the uh, Jerusalem is in ruins and the walls are all down. And it, it, in the Old Testament, the man called Nehemiah decides he wants to restore the walls, he wants to restore the gates, he wants to restore the city. And he goes there and begins a rebuilding project. And they finish it. And the people hear that Ezra talk about God, talk about the covenant and the promises and the commitment to God. And the people begin to weep because they realise they've not really honoured God. And, and Nehemiah talks about, stands up and says, actually, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, actually, this isn't a time for weeping. This is a time for rejoicing. This is a time for remembering God has come to you and is coming to you again to remind you of his promises and his covenants and his commitment to you. And he says, now the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is not a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. This is a time for rejoicing because the walls are being finished. The gates are going in place. The glory is returning to this city. Rejoice. And in Proverbs 17, 22, it says, um, a joyful heart does good like medicine. A joyful heart does treatment. Um, certain people have found totally unrelated to Christianity, have started joy clinics. I don't know if you've ever heard of a joy clinic. You go there, and the joy clinic will be someone stands up and tells jokes. <laughs> and people just laugh. And the scientists have found that laughter releases endorphins. Endorphins can be painkillers and pain relief. And just in the a secular mind realising actually a joyful heart does good like medicine, not even realising that's what the Bible's been teaching for thousands of years, that a joyful heart is like treatment. One man found that he could um, have two and a half hours, three hours of pain relief on a certain painful illness by watching comedies for one hour. So his whole treatment was, before going to bed I'm going to watch comedy for a while. A joyful heart does good like medicine. Even serious sickness have been found to be relieved and I uh, guess healed in the, in, through a joyful heart. Joy is a powerful, powerful thing. They reckon that more days are lost through sickness related to stress than for any other ailment. But the thing that most impacts people and causes them not to go to work is actually stress. Is anxiety, is a lack of joy. And so when these verses say, joy is not a luxury, joy is not a luxury commodity, we're talking about something really, really precious here. Amen. So when the, Paul says, you want to know what the kingdom's like, it's not about a matter of this and a matter of that and a matter of these rules, it's a matter of righteousness, being right with God. It's, it's a matter of the joy in the Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace of joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. There is a song, actually, isn't there? Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. Mm. And Paul in these verses then says, do not be anxious about anything. 
So there's joy, and this joy that for the believer is a joy that transcends any kind of joy clinic, any kind of trivial looking at comedy or telling jokes. He says there's a joy in God, that God is near. There's a transcendent joy. There's a joy that goes beyond any and every circumstance. There is an ecstasy, there's a delight, there's a satisfaction, because the Lord is near. And then he's saying that anxiety is the great threat to joy. So we've got this amazing medicine, this amazing treatment, this amazing reality of joy in God. And then we live in a world where that joy is under threat from a very real thing called anxiety. Anxiety is that drifting to think about unpleasant things. It's, it's, the, it's the fear of the future. It's something that suddenly comes through the door. An unexpected bill. An unexpected conversation. Um, it can be a fear in our families about our relationships with different people in our families. And these things suddenly come to us and they threaten our joy. It's like something happens and we suddenly drift, find ourselves distracted and diverted by anxiety. And the writer here is saying, Paul is saying, actually don't treat joy like a luxury commodity in those moments. That joy is this powerful, powerful treatment, this powerful, powerful thing. It's one third of the kingdom. So there has to be something that we do when anxiety threatens to distract us. Someone says, I'm not quite sure how true this is, there's a distinction between fear and anxiety. That fear is the response to something very, very real. It's the fight or flight thing. Am I going to fight or am I going to run? It's to a real thing. A, a threat of a person, a real thing. But anxiety sometimes doesn't need anything to actually be real in our world. It just needs us to imagine it. And that fear is often rooted in something that's tangible, something that's real, something that's discernible, something that's measurable. Actually, the heart can become anxious and distracted and divided just because it begins to imagine the future in a simple way. Um, it can be the thought that comes into your head through a casual conversation at work that, that where maybe the boss says, we're just going to cut down on how much we're spending on paper. And then suddenly anxiety comes in, they're cutting down on paper, they're cutting down on jobs, is the company okay, is this going to be okay, until suddenly we're imagining ourselves on the street. It's the thing that can creep in, into our mind and distract us from our greatest delight and take us in different directions. So we live in this very real world, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Um, there, there'd be no point of a verse like God works all things together for good if there weren't things to be get, work together for good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's reality on planet Earth. But we need a promise that he's going to work it all together for good. He's going to weave it. He's going to make something beautiful out of it because we're all impacted by various things. Certain things happen to us. Things can pull us in different directions and sap our strength. Been reading this book. It's a very famous book. It's sold about three million copies. It's, it's called, I think, it's Man's Quest for Meaning, and it's by a Jewish man who, in the 1930s, early 1940s, um, was taken to a concentration camp, 
Um, he actually had a visa from the American government that said he could flee to America and flee the dangers of um, persecution, concentration camp, gas chambers. And he wrestled, do I go to America or do I stay here and look after my elderly parents? So he was in their house and there was a slab of marble that his dad had put on the side which had a couple of letters on it and he asked his dad, what, what are those letters? And the, the father said, actually, that's from the synagogue. They're the crushed marble letters. That's where the Ten Commandments were written. And I've got one of the slabs and I've brought it home. And he said, out of interest, what's that letter? And the letter was from the one of the commandments, honour your father and mother that it might go well with you. <laughs> and he said, in that moment, he decided, I'm not, I'm not going to America. I'm not taking hold of the visa. I'm staying. And he was arrested. And he was taken to a concentration camp. And... Uh, the end of the story is he, he, he survives in the most remarkable, miraculous ways through years in his concentration camp. And he wrote a book called Man's Quest for Meaning. And he says in one part of the book that in this life it's true that everything can be taken from you. And this is a man who literally has everything taken from him, his literary career, his dignity, his freedom, his right to choose. He says that everything can be taken from you apart from one thing your ability to choose how you respond. So he lost everything, but he says, they can't take this, my ability to choose how I respond to the SS, to the guards, to adjust justice. And he, he wrote this book about how do, and essentially the book was about why was it that some people survived and some people didn't survive? Why was it that some people just died and crumbled and others seemed to have an inner strength? And he, he, his conclusion was the ones who survived had a transcendent hope, either in a goal or a person that the others didn't have. And sometimes it might be the goal of a husband, a man being reunited to his wife, or the goal of a man and his God honouring his king. And so in these verses, Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything. That whatever comes our way, there's this choice that the believer has in God of how am I going to respond to this threat? How am I going to respond to this imaginary anxiety? How am I going to respond maybe to this very real worry, this very real fear? And he says how we respond makes or breaks our joy. Either it's going to sap our joy and it's going to sap our strength and distract and divide us or it's going to lead us into a beautiful place that he goes on to describe so it says, do not be anxious about anything. Jesus himself says, do not worry about anything. Your Father in heaven knows that you need food, and that you need clothing, and that you need shelter. Look at the lilies, look at how they're clothed, look at the sparrow, not one of them falls about him knowing. Your Father knows. God comes with these commands to us, do not. The kingdom of God works in a certain way. And one of the key aspects of the kingdom is that we trust a good and faithful king. So that's why he can come and say, do not be anxious about anything. And the word anything means anything. You, there is no, Paul is saying that God's opinion is there is no situation, there is no circumstance 
where we are legitimately able to say, oh, that's something we're not allowed to be anxious about and worried about. So God commands us, don't be anxious about a thing. He comes to us as a king and says, this is how it works in my house. This is how it works in my kingdom. This is how it works under my rule. This is how it works. And the reality is, just on a, on a side note, the mess in our society, the brokenness in our society, the fracturedness in our society, the broken hearts in our society, mm. are all stemming from a people who refuse to come under the rule of a beautiful king. Yes. And that's, that's the reality. And sometimes we can say, I'm anxious and I'm worried. Um, is there another way of saying it? Actually, I'm in rebellion to the commands of God. We can sometimes pray for ourselves and pray for one another. I'm struggling, I'm struggling with anxiety. When actually what we really need to hear is repent, change your mind about that, come under the authority of the king. God never said that was legitimate for you to worry, to be anxious or fearful about that. So God commands us and says, don't be anxious Refuse to be distracted, divided by anything. And it's interesting that sometimes anxiety isn't necessarily the big things. It can be the anxiety that you're driving somewhere and someone cuts you up. Uh, you're in the car, you're worshipping, you're feeling God, you're enjoying God, and someone cuts you up and your joy goes out the window and you think, <laughs> where do those words come from? This is salt and sweet all coming out of the same fountain. It, it, can, it can be. <laughs> and, and you can give your joy away cheaply. Or you're on the way to the cinema and you think you're going to miss the trailers. This is important stuff. We're, getting to, we're, we're replying this is the important aspects of life, okay? And you're anxious because you're going to miss the trailers because we all need to see the advert that says there's still time to get a coke that's an important advert <laughs> you want to see that and you're, you're beginning to become late and you think uh, it's interesting this is a totally different story years and years ago when, was the, when there was IRA threats of bombing on, a tr- on trains in London I was on my way to see a film and the guard said get off the train get off the train then he said get on the train get off the train and I just with my mum, and I said, no, we're staying in the train. He hasn't made his mind up. We're not going to miss the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we, obviously, we didn't get blown up, but that, that just shows sometimes when there's a higher goal, fear, <laughs> fear goes out the window. But anxiety, anxiety can, can grip us in so many different ways, can't it? We're enjoying God. We're enjoying peace. We're enjoying it. We give it away cheaply when actually we should say, halt. What's this going to cost me? Mm. What's this going to cost me? Yeah. Again, Nehemiah, um, he's building the walls, and this guy, Sambalak, says to him, Come to the Valley of Oh No. <laughs> now, if anybody invites you to the Valley of Oh No, that's a clue. Um, don't go to the Valley of Oh No, because he wants to talk to him about what he's doing. He wants to distract him from the great work that he's doing. And I think that's what anxiety comes and knocks on our door and says, come down from this great work of rejoicing in God and come to the valley of, oh no, I want to talk to you about something. Amen. Very interesting with the whole thing of the rebuilding of wall, the wall. First of all, it's a distraction to go to the valley of, oh no. Then it's an accusation about his motivation. 
you just want to make a great name for yourself, Nehemiah, then it's a blatant saying, you're sinning and you're not doing righteous things. So actually the accuser can come and say, come to the valley of Ono. Come to the valley of Ono because well, I just want to talk to you about this work. And actually we're to say in those moments, no, I'm not coming down from this great work of joy. I'm not coming down from this great privilege of joy in God. I'm not going to be divided. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to go in different directions. I'm a worshipper. I'm not treating joy as a luxury. I'm going to carry on rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in Him always. The Lord is near. I'm not going to be taken off here, here, here in my imagination. I'm about a great work. But then you might say, what do you then do with even real or imaginary accusation? What do you just do with it? Are you meant to live in a kind of state of denial where you, you whistle in the dark or you, 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 you try to just get through with gritted teeth or white knuckles and say I will not come down, I will not come down the Bible is radically radically practical yeah. about what to do when anxiety comes knocking and it says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so we're living in this world where joy is not a luxury, we're rejoicing in God, something comes through the door, something is said by somebody, something goes into our imagination, a threat about the future. We're then urged to come to God in prayerful worshipful gratitude to who he is and saturate it with childlike trust and say, Abba, Father, really practically, this is just coming to my mind. I'm not sure if it's real or not, but it looks like there's some redundancies happening at work. I can't, nothing I can do about it. It just, I'm a little anxious about it. I'm coming to you and I'm going to saturate this in childlike trust because you're the most trustworthy person in the whole universe. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to yield this to you. I'm giving it to you. And it's prayerful. It's I'm giving it to you, God. It's worshipful. I know that you're good. I know that you love me. I know that you're for me. I know that you've never let me down, ever. I read the Bible and I see your faithfulness to man and woman, after man and woman, to generations, how good you are. You never forget You're always a faithful, good shepherd. I'm depending on you, God. I'm leaning into you, God. I refuse to give away my joy in you cheaply. I'm going to fix my mind on you. Amen. Amen. We just do that. And we refuse to come down. We've said it before. We we can easily trust in ourselves and think, yeah, I can look after me. Sometimes we feel, yeah, I can trust trust in the teachers who look after our kids at school. We, we trust the mechanic who fixes our brakes. We, we trust the government. We trust, because we, you know, we give our taxes and we trust. Amen. We just give it and trust. We, we, we trust different family members. We trust doctors. And yet we struggle to trust the most trustworthy person in the universe who never let us down. Amen. And, and I think that's why he says, do not be anxious, because it's an affront to his nature and character. Anxiety calls into question our confidence in who he says he is. And I think that's so important that, and I guess that's why Paul is saying prayerful, worshipful, gratitude. It's like 
for many of us, wouldn't we like to go back to being nine again and being in a family where we don't have to worry about the bills? And I think God is, I'm not saying that we, 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 we need to be, we, we work and we're disciplined and we take responsibility, but I, I do believe that what's on offer is the transcendent peace of God himself, mm. where, where we can be like kids in a family, where we trust him. Yeah. You. Amen. So, we fix our thoughts on God. And then it says these amazing words. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Mm, that's good. Guarding your heart and mind. Somebody said that what that means is this. We're living, in, we're living our lives, and if we can imagine our life is in the centre of a beautiful city with a wall. And God is saying in these verses, I'm going to be the guard, I'm going to be the sentry on the wall of your life. It's like in the moment we bring it prayerfully, worshipfully, thankfully, with gratitude for who he is. He becomes the guard on our wall. And he says, I'll go out and have a look at that. Right, I'm going to go and check on that. He knows everything already, but he's guarding the wall of our life. And he goes out to it and says, I'm going to inspect that from every angle and every dimension for you. I'm going to be the overseer of your life. I'm going to be the great shepherd of your life. So when you bring something to me that's troubling you, worrying you, creating anxiety for you, just know this, I'm the overseer. I'm going to look at that from every angle, from every dimension. I'm going to look at it from above and from below and from the side. I'm going to discern if there's any threat in it, anything that you should need to be changing your tack in, anything that you need to be proactively doing. I'm going to be speaking to you in that, but you need to employ me. Peter says, casting your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. God wants to be your donkey. That's how what he's talking about. I want to be your beast of burden, God says. Cast your cares onto me because I care for you. Cast them onto me so I can carry them for you. I'm going to patrol the walls. I'm going to go out and advance towards the first sign of any threat. I'm going to inspect it for you. I'm going to look at it for you. Someone makes an off-cuff comment to you. Anxiety comes in. You wonder what what that means. I'm not sure what that means. We start pondering a hundred things. Present it to God in worshipful, prayerful thanks. You're the good shepherd of my life. You lead me into paths of righteousness. Love overlooks a multitude of sins. Father, is this something to overlook? Is this something to look at? I leave it with you. Father, look at this this conversation from every angle. But I'm refusing to get anxious. I'm refusing to feel rejected. I'm refusing to come down from the wall and be divided into different directions away from the joy in you. I'm going to trust in your leadership. You are a good shepherd. You can overcome the areas of my deafness. You can speak in a way that I'm going to be able to hear. I leave it with you. Go and guard the walls, King Jesus. Go and march around them. Please inspect this for me. Be the overseer in this for me. And being really, really practical and having a humble heart before God, a teachable heart before God, and he will speak and you will be able to hear. And so this is the deal that Paul is talking about in this. There's a joy that's not a luxury. There's a 
There's a, a happiness and a joy that does good like medicine. There are threats to that which are anxieties. You can exchange anxieties for his perfect transcendent peace. He is the God of all peace. And the peace of God, or the God of all peace, is actually the shalom wholeness that God enjoys that we can enjoy. He will become for us still waters. He will become for us a quiet place. He becomes for us a place of restoration and refreshing. He becomes, as in Psalm 1, you have planted me by streams of water. My leaf is green, I bear fruit in season. I love what Spurgeon says about this. It's streams. It's not just one stream, it's streams. There's more than one. It can't be... This is a stream that won't be dried up in the dark, arid season. It's multiple streams. I can put my roots into this. You're never drying up. You're never drying up. Whatever's going on around me, there's a stream. There's a quiet place. I can put my roots into you. And so the exchange then is a troubled, anxious, threatened heart for a heart that is shepherded, overseen and cared for by God himself. His shepherding, his clear sight and vision. The very peace that God enjoys, we can enjoy. I think that's a sign and a wonder. We talk about, we pray for the sick and we believe for God to heal the sick. And we do, when we see the sick healed. We believe for the miraculous. We do. But there is a sign and a wonder about a people who navigate life free from the debilitating effects of anxiety with a God who cares for them, living in the shalom and the wholeness and the stillness and the tranquility and the serene nature of God. That's what our hearts long for. I long to be still. I long for the calmness and the tranquility of God. The kingdom works by obedience to a king. It's the yielded position of surrender. It's what got the whole world in a mess. was when Adam and Eve, who enjoyed walking with God, exchanged that for what God had said, I command you not to have. And they felt that God was holding out on them, and they wanted it. Jesus came to restore what Adam and Eve lost for us by becoming the second Adam who was perfectly obedient to the Father in every detail. Who died in our place for us, as us, taking the full consequences of our rebellion so that we might be reconciled to a good, good Father who wants to love us, care for us, protect us, provide for us and look after us as his precious sons and daughters. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news is we get to come home, we get to be cared for, we get to be loved, and we get to be treasured by a wonderful overseer, a beautiful shepherd, a very, very kind and good God. We pray for us. Dear Jesus, we, we thank you for this amazing kingdom. We thank you that joy is not a luxury commodity. We thank you that God, there are times it's right to weep with those who weep. It's right to mourn with those who mourn. 
But I do think that on the balance of it, God, we have been easily those who have given away our joy consistently cheaply. And we thank you for the wonderful invitation, God, to know your peace, to know your care, and know your provision, and know your protection. So I, I do pray, Lord Jesus, for yielded hearts amongst us that would take seriously your command, do not be anxious about anything. That every time anxiety threatens, that we would look at it and think, who am I going to trust here? Who will I yield to here? Will I yield to this devouring anxiety, or will I yield to the shepherd of my soul, the good, good God? Yeah, so we pray for good decisions, God, in your name. Yeah, we pray we'd be really fully persuaded and convinced of who you are and what you're like.